Welcome to Bill Roden on Sports. Taking you inside clubhouses, locker rooms, and boardrooms. Legendary sports columnist Bill Roden gets inside the heads and beneath the veneer of the men and women who play and own the games we love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Bill Roden on Sports. Well, I'm kind of doing something really interesting here. I'm in sunny Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, seeing if I could cover the Super Bowl from Las Vegas. <laughs> anyway, um, here with uh, my uh, brilliant co-host, Jamal Murphy. Jamal? I'm here, rainy New York. Oh, it's rainy. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> and uh, have really a, um, really a remarkable uh, guest uh, today. Uh, Counter is a, a very good, good friend, but she's also... Uh, an author, an attorney. Uh, Jamal, did you know that about our, our guest? I did. I did. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, my guest is the wonderful Chris, uh, Crystal McCrary. Uh, Crystal, hello. Welcome to Bill Roden on Sports. Hello, Bill. Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, no, this is quite, 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 quite a pleasure. It's really, really, uh, really wonderful. Um, and it's going to be very interesting, uh, well, the audience will decide if it's an interesting conversation or not. But um, Crystal is is a person of of all sorts of talents. Um, she uh, is a, is an author. I guess she she uh, authored a book. She co-wrote a book called Home Court Advantage with uh, with Rita Ewing, who at the time was married to uh, Pat Ewing. Really, really an outstanding. It's, it's fiction, but as I tell people about what I do as a columnist for the New York Times, when you work in sports. A lot of this stuff you can't make up. I mean, it's almost like it's almost like it's fiction. Um, but it was it was a f- fantastic book. And then um, she uh, she did a, a very a, a wonderful project with um, uh, a, a a documentary that Amari Stoudemire uh, helped produce. And it was called Little Ballers. It it uh, came out in 2013. And if you've not seen it, you really need to just check it out. It was really uh, spectacular. But, uh, but Crystal, uh, why don't we start? Why don't we start there? Um, oh, well, before I get you talking about that, the, the inspiration for our, for our interview, Crystal and I have worked together on different, you know, different um, projects. But one of the inspirations uh, of this was uh, an article that ran in the New York Daily News uh, about about her uh, oldest son. Uh, Cole. Uh, the Post, actually. The, it was in the Post? Same difference, man. If it's not the Times, it might as well be. That's, that's true. If it ain't too <laughs> lately, lately, there's been a slight change. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, hey, 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 so Crystal, why don't you, um, why don't you tell, tell folks about the article? Uh, and now I kind of fill in the blanks. But the article was about, uh, uh, about Cole, who I guess they're saying is he's, what, the best freshman uh, arguably the best freshman basketball player in New York City, but but tell tell our, tell tell the folks what what it was about. Well, the article really was about Cole, as you said, he's a freshman uh, point guard, starting at uh, the storied Archbishop Malloy, where you had truly great players, Kenny Smith, Kenny Anderson, also the mayor. I mean, excuse me, the governor of New York went to uh, Archbishop Malloy. I don't know if he played basketball, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cole is there now and has a great basketball tradition, and um, he's having a you know a solid a solid year. 
and as New York City basketball goes, uh, there's coverage of it. There's coverage in the media, and we were approached, um, well, really, he was approached to uh, do a story on his, his, you know, sort of, they, they phrased it in the next, the next big thing, so to speak, and I put that in parentheses because <laughs> he's a, a freshman. He's in ninth grade, <laughs> and we got a long road ahead of us. But you know, New York is a, a basketball a basketball city, and there was a lot of enthusiasm, and so they ran this story. And really, from us as parents of Cole, who was actually featured in Little Ballers, the documentary that came out last year that I directed. Uh, he was in the film at 11 years old and sort of to see his trajectory from 11 to 15 years old as a freshman. He's sort of a microcosm of lots of young boys and girls who play basketball across this country and that have a dream of, you know, making it. Each, each kid that plays basketball, they have a dream. They're playing basketball in middle school. They want to play in college. Or they want to play in high school. They want to play in college. And, of course, they want to play in the NBA which is not so different from any kid right. in, uh, in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting. There's so many things to, uh, to touch on. Uh, by the way, um, uh, your husband, you and your husband, uh, Ray McGuire, who's, who's great in his own right. Uh, uh, Ray is the um, head of global marketing for the Citigroup and just a generally great guy. Um, uh, you guys have a, I'm not sure if Leo was going to be a budding budding star, but uh, your youngest son, Leo, is, was he just turned three? or He turned three. Yeah, just turned three a few months ago, yes. Yeah. Yes, he, he definitely looks up to his big brother, Cole. All right. And, and, and uh, you've also got a daughter, uh, Ella. Yes. All right. Um, so, so tell me, I mean, uh, now does, does Leo have any skills? I mean, is he, is he uh, I, I know if Ray, if Ray had anything to do with it, he'd be in the gym now. You know, uh, it's, it's so funny, you being a parent and, and, and you're a parent, each, each child is different in, the, in their own way. And Leo is definitely, you know, physically and athletically gifted, but um, can do, you know, we like, as parents like to believe our children can do anything that they want to do and, we, right. you know, we'll push them in the direction that they show an interest in and are willing to put the hard work in. Uh, you know, the difference, if I were to say, not, not that you can project forward, but the difference, I would say, between, say, a Leo and Cole, Cole really, at a young age, and when I say a young age, I mean two or three years old, really started showing just physical attributes that um, he could throw a ball overhand mm. at seven, eight months old. Um, incredibly competitive, as young as two and a half, three years old, just couldn't lose at, at anything. Mm. Uh, and um, I, I didn't teach him that. That was something that was just innate. I mean, he couldn't lose in a, in a race. He couldn't lose in Monopoly or Dart yeah. or whatever it was. And it's interesting, I'm sure, over your years of, of covering sports, and uh, what, no matter what the sport, you know, basketball, tennis, football, the ones who really excel uh, show at a, a very young age um, a level of, deep competitiveness, work ethic, and a certain level of uh, aggressiveness as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd say Cole showed that from a really young age. Uh, which, which is sort of interesting. How much of, of that do you think? I mean, there, there are a lot of, as you know, there, I'm sure there are a lot of people who, um, you know, are listening to this, uh, who've got young, you know, who've got kids, 
who they you know we all have these aspirations for our children if they're involved in swimming uh, we want them to be you know any promise they're going to be in the olympics uh we uh, a couple of weeks ago we we talked to um uh oh man blanking on his name but his daughter leah 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 neal um her father rome neal is a singer but leah uh, is an Olympic swimmer. She she won a bronze medal uh, in London, and now is at Stanford, and is preparing to go to the uh, Rio Olympics. But again, you know, at an early age, same thing had promise, but you never know. I mean, you know, whether it's your, your kid is playing tennis, or it's uh, basketball, or, or golf, or football, you know, t- you you just never know. You, you you as a parent, you sort of have these visions of. Sugar, sugar plum. I guess my question to you when you were talking about Cole, for example, at an early age throwing the ball overhand, but you also talked about his competitive spirit. And I was wondering, how much do you think, now, now that you've begun to see this, and also you've got some other experiences too, because um, in doing little ball, as you were interviewing people like Carmelo Anthony and, some, and obviously Amari Stoudemire, but I wonder how much, Crystal, do you think it's, it's it's those things like you know your genes, your your um, physicality. But how much it, of it is this stuff like at an early age? You don't you can't lose. You're just competitive. You just you just refuse. You know you know what I'm saying. It's that undefined other thing that is is oftentimes is what takes you to the top. Yeah. Again, as you say, I mean you can't you can't exactly project forward. But you do see these little indicators that uh, bode well for the the road that you will take. Um, so you know you take somebody like Carmelo Anthony, as you mentioned, who was in Little Ballers. You know he was playing AAU ball at nine years old and getting you know fifty points in a game. That's an indicator. <laughs> right, right. And, and, even, and even within that. He still had to navigate a really um, narrow lane of making it, you know, through high school up to Syracuse where they won, and then being drafted into the NBA. But then you have the stories of of young um, men who have great promise in high school. You know, everybody knows the many people know the Lenny Cook story, right. who was ranked ahead of LeBron James in high school, and that didn't pan out. You know, so part of it is. It, there, there's an element of luck. <laughs> there's an element of, of, of talent. The, but the biggest muscle in all of this you hear so often, it really is the, the mental. Mm. Uh, and then you have people like Russell Westbrook, who is also in my film, Little Ballers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he said, which I thought was interesting and sort of reminds me of Michael Jordan's trajectory. I mean, Russell Westbrook, not where Michael Jordan was, but you, know, you think about Michael Jordan getting cut from his high school team, mm-hmm. and you think about somebody like Russell Westbrook, who didn't, never went to the AAU Nationals, mm-hmm. but um, we'll talk about, even at the high school level, not being the best on his team, far from being the Russell Westbrook, Mr. Triple-Double now, right. Right? right? But yet, he always felt that he could be the best, mm-hmm. so that's the mental. Then he also had a little bit of genetic luck. Because Russell Westbrook was one of those players that actually grew a few inches in high school, right? right? You you know you go from, you know, and these aren't the exact numbers, but you go from approximately five eleven six feet to six three six four. That's a world of difference in the point guard position. Um, 
So there are a lot of elements that they're playing to. And then you mentioned genetics. So, sure, on the genetic front, you know, a, a lot of things play into that. You think you look at a Stephen Curry, but Stephen Curry, if you read back over his scouting reports in, in college, he had abysmal scouting reports. Right. With, right? right? You already named what, what they said about him. Right. Right. He came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, except his, his his father, his father was an NBA player. I mean that 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 did not necessarily make him a NBA player necessarily because he he didn't have the physical stature of his dad. But but what but what an NBA player, you know, the son of an NBA player and NFL players. We've had people on the show that have talked about that. What it does most, what I see, is confidence. It's like you you know. You know, we know becoming an NBA player is one of the toughest things, or any kind of professional player is right. tough. I mean, my parents used to tell me you have a better chance of getting hit by lightning uh, than, than making the NBA, which statistically is true. But the people who do make it are the people who really believe. And having a father who plays, I mean, you innately believe. So I think that's, I mean, obviously there's no guarantee, and you still have to work extremely hard, but that's, that, I think, adds to the confidence of a kid. Sure. And I'll tell you how it also helps. I mean, um, my son Cole, uh, my ex-husband Greg Anthony, uh, Cole's father, uh, played in the NBA. And what it, what on that front it does on the mental side, on the confidence side for for Cole, Cole could have a bad game, and a lot of kids handle bad games in different ways. A lot of adults handle bad games, <laughs> right? Right. Seen, I'm sure. So it, yeah. Yes, and so I think the difference with having a, a parent, a father who played in the NBA in the case of Cole, is if Cole has a bad game, he can talk to his father pretty much immediately and get real-time a variety of things, right? So he can get he can get a play-by-play analysis of what went right and what went wrong <laughs> on the actual play, which which Greg does for him. He can get a... Um, uh, like a, a pep talk, but a real pep talk coming from an empathetic perspective because Greg actually has been anything that Cole has gone through and will go through as a player, Greg has probably been through it and will share. Greg has a teammate who's been through it. You know, mm-hmm. h- how to bounce back, what to do when, you know, you physically are there but you're not mentally there, what to do when you're, uh, you know, there yet when you're going up against the bigger guy. I mean, every scenario when you had when you as a player have the benefit of a parent who was a professional player, they really can share with you every nook and cranny of their experience that that gives you you know a leg up mm-hmm. over other players who don't have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's you know it's it's a mentor, it's it's a father, it's a coach, and it's an advisor, a critic, a fan, all wrapped up into one who has your best interest at heart. And, uh, and you see that so much with Stephen Curry and right. um, his father, um, Del Curry. And you see that with um, um, Michael Thompson and, and Clay Thompson and um, Mike Dunleavy and his son. And, right. and, and there's a, a growing list in yeah, the, in the, the NBA. Stuff. Yeah, which is interesting. Like one of my best friends is, uh, is a Calvin Hill. And I remember oh, yeah. meeting Grant when Grant was like, you know, before, you know, he was like, 13, <laughs> you know, and, you know, you know, but again, um, to see that develop uh, and, and I, th- I think you really hit it. How much is is um, actually so I spoke to somebody uh, that too, not not so much about um, basketball, but 
a friend of mine who's you know an executive, uh, and uh, I, I mean I, I guess it was it was, it was Ken Chenault. and we were just yeah. talking about we you know who's the you know um, CEO at uh, American Express, who's a big you know sports fan, but we were talking about that. But you know I think Ken uh, he uh, went to Harvard Law, uh, but we were talking about how intimidating those kinds of places can be for us for for young you know black men and women. And he was saying that maybe in his class there may have been, you know, a, a group of people whose great grand, whose grandfather went to Harvard, and whose father went to Harvard. And so when they go to these places like a Harvard or Princeton, it's like four or five generations, or Stanford. You know, they they grew up in these in this atmosphere, and it's kind of like a sense of ownership. Like, well, yeah, you know, we this is we belong here. We're, you know, we're supposed to be here, and and, and I think it may be the same thing. As, as we get this second or third group of young African-American athletes that, that you know, that's so hunger that, you know, the whole, uh, uh, the, um, you know, the, the, the whole uh, stereotype of the hungry athlete, particularly hungry inner city athlete, is being replaced from, well, no, I'm not necessarily hungry. I'm entitled because, you know, my father played in the NFL and I grew up on in the environment and I kind of feel that I belong here. So I guess we're talking as much sense of your physicality as that sense of belonging, whether it's whether it's being a lawyer in a big corporate firm or or being you know a basketball player, it's I guess it's that sense of belonging. Yeah, and I think entitlement is different than belonging. Right. Right. Um, I think you're right. There's an element of oh, I think I belong in this world versus entitled. I like entitled um, too, though, Crystal. I mean, I know that that I know that's a you know what I'm saying. I know that's become like a. We always complain when you don't have it, it's bad, <laughs> you know. But when you do feel entitled, I think it could develop into a spoiled bratish kind of behavior. But I, I, I know you. I think that you're right. There's that thin line between you know, when you entitled. Say entitled. I think it implies. I think when you say entitled, it can imply that someone thinks that they should have something without working for it. Okay, right. And so, right. Right. Um, right. no matter how much you feel entitled to go into the NBA. If you're not willing to work for it and you don't have the goods, you're not going to go. Right, no matter who. And right. that's and that's the same. And and by the way, that's the same thing. You know, for the NFL or you know, you look at Prince Fielder and Cecil Fielder. Prince Fielder had the goods, right? right. Cecil Fielder's son, right. um, in baseball. Right. Uh, and 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 let's talk about Ken. You know, say say a Ken Chenault, who's the CEO of American Express, and Ken has two sons who both went to Harvard and um, very smart, talented young men, as as you know, mm-hmm. but. Will they ultimate? Will they be the CEO of American Express? Probably not. Will they be a CEO of a, another company? It's very possible, but they're not going to get it because they feel entitled. Right, right. But they're I, I, get it because they work right. hard and have the goods. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I, I do think that I do think that um, having that role model, being a father or mother, um, you know, I mean, for example, Jamal. You, I mean, we kind of get a little far afield, but you know, your, your, your dad was a great attorney. And I think we had talked about another show that that part was part of your 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 motivation was, you know, right. The fact and confidence and confidence, knowing that I that I could do that, right. um, and I could and I belong. Like I, I kind of like the word belong too, rather, <laughs> rather than <laughs> entitled. I like so entitled. You, yeah, you still. I mean, you do. I'm that. entitled. I want it. I deserve so to be right. here without yeah, working. Yeah. Without yeah, working. You have to work to get there. But I mean, you know, Not necessarily. the interesting thing with, with Cole Anthony is that he has both sides covered, right? right? I mean, he, he can look to 
yes. you know, a lawyer, and he could look to a professional basketball player. So right. he, he kind of right. has both. He should have confidence yeah, both I mean, ways. He's, he's, he is unique and blessed in that situation. Um, like you mentioned, Calvin Hill and Grant Hill. I mean, you know, Grant, Grant could not have had more stellar parents than he had, right? Mm-hmm. You know, academically, you know, intellectually, spiritually, and athletically right. with, his, with his father. And so the question sort of this, that, that I always wonder in situations with somebody like a Grant, and I've had this discussion with Cole, I have not had this discussion with Grant Hill, mm-hmm. but what makes you hungry Right, right. instead of entitled? Exactly. I've had that very specific conversation with Cole. I, I, I say to Cole, what's your motivation to, to, to make it um, into the NBA? What's your, what's your motivation to be the best? Um, I can look at several of your AAU teammates and, that you've played with over the years, and you can look at what's potentially driving them or what you think right. is driving them. And it's not always what you think is driving a person, right? In, in the case of Cole, he's blessed and fortunate enough that whether he had a, an athletic scholarship or not, he's going to college. Right. Um, he's going to be able to do that. Um, he's going to be okay from that perspective. So in these conversations with him, looking at his you know, genetics, lineage, whatever you want to call it, I say, what, Cole, what is it that's motivating you? Because I see him go out and compete, and I see him wanting it. And a big part of Cole's you know, very young, <laughs> very, very early, limited, limited success as a little ninth grader, <laughs> um, what I see differentiating him from the kids that, that are perhaps the same age or playing against him is he wants it. He wants it more than, you know, he, he wants it more than most people. Mm. And, and, and he's willing to do whatever it takes right. to, to get it. And, it, and it. and a lot of times it's wanting to be the best at what you do, wanting to be the best in whatever profession you partake in. And trust me, even, you know, I, I played CYO, um, you don't get to you don't you're not the considered the best high the best ninth grader in New York City without work already right. and without putting in some work you know already and being very good even at that I know it's a young age but trust me I play I played along I played with Stephon Marbury at that age in fourth fifth grade he was he was scoring fifty points a game <laughs> fourth and fifth grade and you know I mean you know, now he's yeah. the president of China now, yeah now right, he's a statue right. outside of China and had a, and by the way had a very good NBA career despite yes, what people say absolutely. try to try he had to a great, NBA. He had a great but, um, NBA career exactly so uh, you know and I, and I've heard in that in that uh, New York Post article it was mentioned that you know one of the one of the high school scouts or coaches yeah Joe Arbatello from Christ the King right who I who I've met a couple of times he he said that he was the best he had seen since Marbury, and that, since mm. Stephon Marbury at that age. Wow. And trust me, that's high praise because Marbury at that age was phenomenal. Mm. Yeah, that, I, I was, that, was, that was very nice of Coach Arbatello to say. Christ the King was one of the high schools also that had been recruiting Cole. Great school, great, great program. Just we felt a better fit at Malloy. But, um, and again, all that, that nice, nice compliments, nice accolades. This is a marathon, right. you know. We're like on, we're like on mile two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, yeah, even that. Well, 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 maybe I'll get to that now because I want to get into something. But what was it? I mean, you're talking about recruiting, uh, recruiting into high school. I mean, we're not even talking about, and, and, and you know, uh, and maybe you could uh, uh, talk about or tell us what was that experience like 
the whole idea of recruiting, because I mean, there's there's recruiting at almost every level. Recruiting from from one AAU team to another AAU team, from 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 being uh, uh, going to this high school versus that high school. I mean, it's it's a it's a culture that if you're not really in, into this, you, you you probably wouldn't even realize this exists. I mean, when you look at the end re- result of a Carmelo Anthony, the 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 road that it was taken is is phenomenal. Again, it's like fiction. Yeah, it is, and it is a process, and it was new to me, and I discovered the high school recruiting process as Cole began going through it, and there were several factors that went into it. I mean, Greg was a little more in tune to it than me. I mean, Cole had been at a a fantastic school, Poly Prep in Brooklyn, New York, which we loved very much, Mm -hmm. excellent academic. Is that where you went, Jamal? Yes, it is. Right, great school, Poly Prep. Great school. Fantastic school. Um, Excellent, both as I said, academically and athletically. Jamal, you should have gone to uh, Malloy. <laughs> and that's funny because I, I I was telling my wife that story myself. I said, well, you know, my parents sent me to Poly Prep for the academic side of it, and I was like, you know, I feel like, you know, if I would have, you know, at that age, I was very good. Did they miss the boat? Probably my best years were like eighth, ninth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade in basketball, and I was like. If my parents would have sent me to like Christ the King or mm-hmm. Malloy, who knows? Right. You would have been. You would. They, you they were, own they CBS. They were all in on the academics, but right. you know, like obviously, you can't fault that. Right. And who know? And who knows what? I, you know, right. I probably wasn't good enough anyway. But mm-hmm. it is. It is an interesting decision that you have to make, and you know, I'd love to hear how that decision. Yeah, 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 Chris. I, I interrupt you. Back. So no, what, no, what was that, that was, like? No, that was that, that. That's a great point. I mean, I was. I was. Let's say at Poly Prep, but Greg having gone through what he went through. Um, in the NBA, uh, he said he went and saw some Poly Prep High School games. <laughs> Black socks in the set shot. He he went and, and he went and looked at St. Anthony's games. He looked right. at Christ King and Cardinal Hayes and all the great tri-state uh, basketball programs where the players in high school are competing at a really high level, and um, and being coached at a high level as well. Uh, and he said, he so he said, to have Cole play at Poly Prep where they're playing at such a different level um, is going to be a disservice to his development as a player and him being able to really compete. And he so so he sort of started that process of looking outside of Poly Prep for high school. And then where I sort of turned the corner. Um, I, of course, saw how passionate Cole was about basketball. And, again, he's, you know, we keep talking basketball, 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 but he's a good kid. He's a smart kid mm-hmm. um, academically as well. But I saw that he really, um, in his mind, wanted to kin- continue on this basketball path, play in high school and, and play in, in college as well, and wanted to play a Division One college. I mean, the kids, I mean, there's a, there's a strategy behind this, and the, and the kids are like, Division one, they're the kids that are like, okay, I know I can't play at Division one. They get to a point with it, but I, but I want to play at a Division three school. Yeah. I know I, or, you know, I want to, I want to play um, at, at a uh, an Ivy League school. So right. they're they're different different um, paths that kids can take, and they start really thinking about it realistically. Mm-hmm. And Cole always said he wanted to play at Division one college. So I spoke to a Division three coach uh, that you know. Bill, yes. <laughs> Division three, yes. um, assistant coach, and he was telling me that he goes to all of the, you know, New York City 
private schools, Ivy, New York City schools, and recruits from that pool. That's one of the pools that he recruits from on the mm-hmm. East Coast. And I said, well, how do they stack up at, at the college, your Division Three college, the New York City competition that you're seeing in the private Ivy League school? He said the majority of these players that I'm looking at could maybe be an 11th or 12th man right. <laughs> on my Division Three varsity, you know, college team. Mm. Um, so I was like, huh. So that's the competition that Cole's going to be playing against in high school if he were to remain where he was. And so at that point I started, I said, well, you know, if I want him really playing against the competition that is going to Division One colleges or getting recruited by Division One colleges, I need to put him in that situation where he's playing against, you know, the best of the best of the best. And by the way, uh, you know, just back to that entitlement thing for a second. I love that. I have to go back to that for a second. I want in, you to. In, 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 in Little Ballers, um, I had uh, this AAU coach talking about uh, kids that have the sense of entitlement and or are unrealistic about what their uh, college options are. And I remember him saying, if you are already in 10th or 11th grade, and you're talking about I want to go to, you know, Duke or Kansas or, you know, Georgetown or Michigan, and they haven't reached out to you in any way, you're not on their radar. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Yeah, she's not into you? We're not that into you. Which you know, right? Because I'm sure Cole was getting letters in seventh, eighth grade. Or maybe before. I don't third, know. <laughs> third grade. No, no it was like eighth grade. It's, you know, you get, you get the letters. But again... Back to keeping it real and being realistic, getting letters, right. that's not an offer. That's not an offer for an 8th grader or ninth grader because, right. again, there's so many variable, variables. You have to keep these kids grounded no matter how good they are. Yeah. You know, any, you know, yeah. God forbid, you, know, you get injured tomorrow, you hey, blow out a knee, over. done. Hey, I, I got letters. I still have, so I need to throw that out. Yeah, yeah, Jim, come on. But I got letters years. in 7th and 8th grade, and I, trust me, they weren't calling – uh, come junior season, because I didn't get any better, all right? So, you know, there, to, to, to that point and, and many <laughs> others, <laughs> you have to, it's, it is a marathon, and you have to manage the expectations. When a kid does have talent playing ball, you have to remind them that uh, you have to keep on working. Again, you know the quote I love, it's, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. That's right. Anybody in sports has heard that, and it is, so true. so true. My guest is the wonderful Crystal McCrary, uh, author, documentarian, um, uh, person of many, many, many skills. Uh, and we will be back uh, to continue this really fascinating discussion in just a uh, couple minutes. If you want to you know, have somebody pay for this airtime. Be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Taking you inside the games we love. This is Bill Roden on Sports. Hello, everyone. We're uh, back to Bill Roden on Sports with. Uh, co-host Jamal Murphy and the wonderful Crystal McCrary. And, uh, you know, man, I'm, so I'm looking out the window here and I'm looking at this snow-capped mountains and I'm like thinking, I don't know, maybe I'm not coming back there. <laughs> it's, it's pretty beautiful out here, I must tell you. You know, whenever I come out west, it's just a whole sense of, I mean, there's clearly no place like New York. But, um, right. 
And anyway, let me let me stop indulging. That's entitlement. I belong here. I belong. I should be here. You know, we should. You know, Chris. I think we we probably this is another another uh, broadcast for another day. But there's this difference between uh, entitlement. What's the other word, Jamal? We use entitlement versus what? Belonging. Belonging. Feeling I, of. Yeah, I I, mean, I think there's a really razor thin difference that I think we should really get into. Because see, my thing, Crystal, and hey, Jamal, because you, you, your son is growing. I mean, I just think that there, for example, you know, your husband, you know, I mean, you know, Ray is, you know, Ray is, 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 a, is a huge deal in the finance industry. I mean, he's well-respected, um, revered. He's a mentor, you know. Um, and to grow up in a household where, again, you know, you don't, I, I, you know, you feel that if that's, if that's, let's say, if, if Cole or Ella or Leah were to go into that area, you're right, there could be a sense of belonging. I belong to, you know, when you go to, to the interviews at Harvard Law, he's, oh, yeah, well, my dad went here, and I'm, yeah, yeah, I I'm, I'm kind of grew up, I, I'm kind of, I, I belong here. And you're right, that's different entitled, but I know, I find, although we associate entitlement to something negative, I think it could also be, it could be positive as well that that you're not I mean, Arthur Ashe used to talk about that too you know when he would go to he would go to like Wimbledon and the US Open when it was I mean the, you know when it was at Forest Hills and he said that is what intimidated a lot of kids particularly a lot of young black kids you go in this you know the Oak Line clubhouse and and you said man I don't belong here I you know I don't you know so anyway that's a rant but I I do think it's a very important dis- distinction that we should maybe get into uh, in another time and place, but I think it is very important. Um, any comments before we move on? Yeah, no, well, what I was, was going to say is I think it depends on the household that the kid is, is brought up in, whether they, because of their parents' line of work, whether it's professional sports or finance or, or acting, for that matter. Right, right. I think it's how the... Um, how the parents raise the children in that household, but it's it's not that you know strange of a uh, you can't even call it a phenomenon anymore. I mean, look, you look in you look in Hollywood, right? How many actors, kids are actors, right? Right. You have acting family dynasties. Right. Right. <laughs> how many in in um, in finance, right. which is so broad, but you know. There are several kids who who followed in their parents' footsteps in banking, and but what I think it does when your child is exposed to a particular area, uh, whether it's sports, you know, since we're talking about basketball, let's say basketball, um, they become kind of like sponges because that's what they're around. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, even if your parents didn't play professional sports even if they played college sports, which, by the way, is uh, quite an accomplishment. <laughs> right. You know, right. when you look at, I mean, well, well, it's interesting. If you look at it like this, you know, and you know this number, you know this, these statistics, Bill, from Little Ballers, mm-hmm. the sports agent Travis King, who's Amari Stoudemire's sports agent, talks about the statistics of approximately 10 million kids playing varsity basketball um, in this country, varsity ha- high school basketball for approximately 2,000 Division One basketball scholarships. Right. So you go from, from 10 million to 2,000 to get a Division One basketball scholarship. 
hey, that's a huge accomplishment for a a, a high school basketball, for a high school basketball player. And then from that, from 2,000 Division I basketball players, you have approximately 60 who are drafted into the NBA each year and and about 30 make the team. Hmm. So, you know, you do the math. It's a whole lot of blood, sweat, tears, work, Hmm. talent, luck that goes into you, you know, making it to the NBA. But I think for that kid who's growing up in a house where their parent was a professional athlete, they are being exposed to that. They are going to the games. I mean, again, I keep bringing up Stephen Curry because, I mean, who doesn't love Stephen Curry? (laughs) They're a couple. Nobody. What's not to love about him? I mean, He's cute. His wife is cute. Their kids are cute. His mother and father are cute. It's just there. What's not to love? But you look back at the old footage of Stephen Curry. Somebody just unearthed, I think it was a Burger King commercial that he was in with his father. Mm. So he's like, I want to be just like you when I grow up. Dad, and and it's all so cute. But then you project forward, then they they have footage that's coming up with you know, Stefan being at practices with his dad or on the sidelines putting up shots. So he's, he's watching it, he's seeing it. And, and so much of, of sports, there is a muscle memory component to it. I mean, right. you, talk, you, to a, you but, talk to a Kobe Bryant, just, I mean, with, with putting up shots, putting right. up Whose father shots. played, who was a pro father, player also. Yeah, let, exactly. Let us not forget Kobe Bryant's dad. Right. right. Jelly Bean, uh, Jelly Bean Bryant. Right. It's it's what it's what you know. It's the family yeah. business. But you know, no yeah. matter no matter what it is, and remember, it can go the negative way too. Yeah. Right. Right. That that's a great point, Jamal, because it could turn on you. Uh, you know, I, I think I'll, it turns on when you do have. I think, Bill. I think it can turn on you, and then okay, with it's you know uh, how we're defining entitlement. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that when you feel this sense of entitlement in that world, it can turn on you. Right? Well, yeah, yeah. You, you, hit it, you hit it so so well when you first, when we first got into this. Entitlement, as you defined it, was feeling that entitled, you know, without working for it. Right. And that which is a definition of racism in America. That's another show. Like but, a monarchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, 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 yeah, yeah. So, so you, you're right. Um, but you guys hit some very important points. A, this thing turning on you, not working on it. But also I'm thinking, okay, but what about a guy like LeBron James? What about all the kids, for example, who did not have the road map, you know, right. who did not have, um, who, who grew up, who grew up, like I'd say the majority of young black kids in America, this, this, this thing is not designed for, for young black kids to make it. You know? Right, and, and most of them don't. Right, right. Because like, there is no roadmap, and now the young black kids are getting roadmaps. The, the, the white kids have GPSs. <laughs> we have the roadmaps. They got the GPS. But anyway, but right, the, and, and it's, it's important to to understand that yeah. that you know LeBron James didn't come from a, a parent who, who played professional basketball. Right. He made it. That's that's. We already talked about the numbers. How hard it is to make it. Right. Most do not make it. Right. Okay, and and forget the NBA. A lot of people don't make it in a, in a lot in ways very that are even more, much more important than you know making the NBA. You know, you, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, Crystal. But because of that movie, I really had an epiphany um, after um, you know after watching Little Ballers a number of times. But particularly the first time I saw the screening and saw Travis, uh, you know, Travis King with that great stat and the great graphic that accompanied him. You know, the ten million varsity hoops players. 
2,000 D1 scholarships, 64 NBA gets drafted, 30 make it. And, you know, and, and, and each time in, in every audience, there's always a gasp. You know, yeah. like, wow, wow, wow. But you know what? I realized that I had it wrong, that I gasped. I said, you know what? I, I had it wrong. I was approached it the wrong way. And because I changed, because, you know, I run this sports and recreation program at my church. In fact, that's where I was interviewed. That's where you guys interviewed me. Yeah. And I stood on that very stage. You know, I'd have an, a friend of mine, was an NBA scout, to come in, blah, blah, blah. And the same thing, you know. How many of you want to be professional athletes? And, you know, everybody raised their hand. And don't you know that of all you people here, like, blah, blah. but then I realized, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, when I was, when I was you know, 15 years old growing up in Chicago uh, and, and, and at Harlan High School, and if somebody would have said, hey, who wants to work for the New York Times? A little black kid on the south side of Chicago. And I said, me? They said, listen, let me tell you the realities of life. You got a better chance of walking on the moon than being a New York Times columnist for whatever, or working as a reporter and all that kind of stuff. So then I realized that that my approach has to be, okay, but somebody's going to work there. Somebody's going to get drafted. Somebody's going to get the D1 scholarship. Somebody's going to be one of those 30 walking across the stage. The question becomes, how can I be that one in a million? And my question to those kids was, okay, now, how can you, be the one in a million, right? And the answer is, well, so when, when you talk to, or when Crystal comes in to talk to you, or when, when you know, Ray McGuire talks to you, or, or Jamal, you know, you, you, everybody who comes into your life, you're, you become a sponge because you say, I want to be the one in a million. How can you help me be the one in a million? So I, I changed my whole rap in terms of saying, oh, only one in a million will make it. No, how do you get to be that one in a million. And, and so that, that's, that has become sort of my mantra. How do you help kids, particularly our kids, but any kids, but our kids, how do you help them be that one in a million? What does it take to be that one in a million? And we've talked about a lot on the show. You know, so what do you guys think about that? No, and adding to that, I mean, I think it's actually an interesting um, theme that runs through people who have achieved a level of success um, in whether it's competitive fields, um, more often actually competitive fields, but you reminded me of um, my, one of my books that I wrote called Inspiration, mm. uh, Profiles of Black Women Changing Our World, where I profiled 30 extraordinary uh, women of, of color, uh, you know, from a Venus Williams, you know, mm. in, in, who's in sports, to Misty Copeland, um, you know, first uh, black principal dancer, um, at ABT, to people like a Mary J. Blige, mm-hmm. to the uh, singer uh, uh, Patti LaBelle, yes. and I think pretty much all of them said something to the effect of, how do I become that one in a million or ten million or whatever the case may be? Mm-hmm. And you know what they also said as they were faced with these odds stacked against them, and they saw the models that were out there who had achieved what they wanted to achieve, they also asked the question, well, other people have done that. Why not me? Yeah, right. right. Why not me? Yeah. yeah. And that was used, that was used as, a, as a premise. And it's, and it's interesting as a motivator, you know, back to the, the, the sports. Yeah. Um, it, it, that, that's, yeah, yeah, I think that that's an intriguing thing. But let me ask you something, Chris. You, you were one of the most... Now, people, you're on, you're on, you know, 
radio podcast so people can't see you. But, you know, Crystal's also beautiful, just people don't know. Um, but, you know, you are one of the most tenacious and driven people I know. Every time I talk about Crystal, I say, Crystal's tough, <laughs> you know. But uh, tell me a little bit. You grew up in Detroit, right? Yes, I did. <laughs> Which is number one. Now, that's, <laughs> need we say anything more? Did <laughs> I drop the mic now? <laughs> uh oh, no, no. Just, just, hey, Jamal, just watch the mic. <laughs> I got you. No, but so you grew up in, uh, in, um, in, in Detroit. You went to the University of Michigan, uh, yes. right? Your major was, um, was English. English yeah. literature. Yeah, so I'm just curious. NYU, you got your law degree, what, from NYU? Yes. Yeah. I'm just curious, what was sort of your, what, what drove you? To get to this point, I mean, because you know, you you um, you, you got went to law school. You you um, worked for what what Paul Weiss, Paul Weiss. did that. You did entertainment law, and then you just quit, right? Ninety seven, you quit because you wanted to be a writer. I could have. Yes. You should call me for that one. <laughs> why don't we Why don't we change places, Crystal? <laughs> you know. But anyway, but just tell me about what when you look back on your life to this point. I mean, the documentaries, the the toughness. How how did you get where you, I mean, how much was, you know, just the role, you had role models, you had a roadmap, or how much was just pure tenacity for you to get from Detroit, Michigan, to where you are now? Well, as you mentioned, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I, I probably am like a poster child for, um, you know, people of color who were living through the Depression, being my parents who were just really salt of the earth, hardworking people. I mean, my dad worked for Ford Motor Company, you know, mm. Detroit. <laughs> mm. My mom was a school teacher, then a principal mm. in Detroit, Michigan. And I saw them get up every single day, go to work, pack lunches. Remember the brown bag lunches? Oh, we didn't yeah. go out to lunch. You didn't go out to lunch. You packed the lunch. <laughs> That's right. Um, you didn't, you didn't buy things that you wouldn't be able to pay for right out of your checking account. You weren't using credit cards. <laughs> I mean, it was a very um, solid, you know, loving, supportive environment that I grew up in. And they just um, always made me feel that I could do whatever I wanted to do. But the way they pushed me, yes, through encouragement, and love, but they really did push me also through education. I mean, it was just very clear that I had to get my education. And as a child, which is interesting, you know, you don't always understand, well, what, what does this mean? It's like it's kind of abstract, getting my education. How am I going to use this information? I just knew I had to get my education. And I wasn't always the most enthusiastic student, but I was goal-oriented in wanting to get good grades. And so I was able to get good grades, and I got an academic scholarship to University of Michigan, and um, I just set goals for myself. Was not always, again, was not always the best student, but I always had a goal for myself. I went to law school because there were several lawyers in my family, not my immediate family, but I had a lot of cousins, uncles, et cetera, who were lawyers, and I saw that as, you know, to be quite honest, there's something about it that seemed prestigious. Yeah. My interest in it was not... I, I I look back now and I think I wish I had more noble reason for wanting to <laughs> mm -hmm. um, be a lawyer. Now that I, I just finished this short documentary on the Legal Defense Fund, mm, um, oh, really? and Thurgood, yeah, and, and I'm doing I'm actually doing a longer version of that mm. documentary. It's got a Ford Foundation grant to do a feature film on LDF. But mm. I say that I bring that up. I go that because you know Thurgood Marshall was the lawyer's lawyer. <laughs> you know he. And so I was never passionate about the law in that way. I realized I was passionate about storytelling. 
And so when I did have my brief stint practicing law at a great firm here in New York City, I was in the entertainment department of Paul Weiss, and I was representing several um, writers and directors and playwrights. And uh, what it did show me at that point, which I didn't have in my upbringing, was it showed me how one could have a um, creative profession and um, actually make a living mm. as a writer. Mm. And that was really what my passion was uh, when I was still in law school. Mm. So, and so, when I was practicing law. Yeah. So, you, you, so at 28, that's when you sort of had the, the idea that you were just going to quit and just get into writing. I mean, that, that's... I was actually like 20... I was actually like 24. 24. Oh, really? Or, yeah. Well, I mean, when you quit, but when you quit the firm? When you quit... Yeah, I was uh, only at the... I was only at... I was only at Paul Weiss le- actually less than two years, and I went there straight out of law school. And so I left, and actually... And then my first book mm-hmm. that I wrote, Home Court Advantage, yes. which had a... <laughs> Everybody should know. Get... First novel. Buy it. <laughs> that I wrote it with, with Rita Ewing, my, my writing partner on that book, mm-hmm. which we had great fun gotcha. writing it. Um... <laughs> That uh, that came out of uh, just for any aspiring writers out there, I always like to offer up a tip on it. The, the book that I actually read that led to that book was this wonderful writing book called *The Writer's Way* mm. by oh, Julia. Yeah. You know that book yeah, by yeah. Julia Cameron, yeah. and it's so yeah. interesting because she talks about being a shadow artist. Mm-hmm. So many people want to be artists; they want to be you know singers, dancers, writers, but they don't have the courage to do that. So they shadow an artist. In the case of Julia Cameron, she was married to Martin Scorsese, and she really wanted to be making films and writing herself. You know, people become agents for sports, you know, heroes or, you know, basketball players, but they really loved playing basketball in high school, couldn't make it to, you know, college playing basketball. So, um, but I, anyway, that was that led to Home for Advantage. Great book. Uh, so how did that specific book, how did, how did you and Rita Ewing decide to write that? How did it work? I mean, in the- How many friends did you lose? <laughs> yeah, how many friends did you lose? <laughs> how come well, you put me in the book? <laughs> I, would, I would like to say that we actually um, did not lose any friends um, writing the book because um, it, it was fiction. Um, you know, as a writer, fiction or nonfiction, are you inspired by experiences that... Um, happened to you absolutely but one of my tenants that I had then as a young writer and that I have now as a you know a bit more experienced writer filmmaker producer I always always allow my characters to have their dignity mm. and I don't ever write in drama to be to be gratuitous Mm-hmm. Um, if, if there's a challenge or something dramatic that happens, it's rooted in who the character is, and it's not done in a way to be demeaning, particularly with documentaries. And with respect to the novel, Home for an Advantage, um, there was nothing in there to be nasty <laughs> to a person. Um, it was really, you know, you springboard on experiences. So. Um, you, you, you talk to, you know, great writers. Um, oh, gosh, I, I wanted this one great writer. I'm going to think of his name in a moment. but Bill Roden? Yes, absolutely, uh, Bill Roden. This commercial this has commercial's been brought to you by... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. But who wrote A Man in Full and Barbarians at the Gate? Mm. What's, his, what's the author's name? Great. Um, in any event, people will ask him, how long did it take you to write this book? And his answer is always, my whole life. 
Yeah. And it's your whole life because you draw upon every aspect. And, and if it was truly, you know, a thinly veiled Roman class, I would say it at this point. I mean, I was, you know, 25, 26 when, when, when I wrote Home for Events. That's, I mean, 46, that's 20 years ago. I would, I would let it be known at this point. It was, it was fiction. Okay, all right. Whatever. <laughs> no. <laughs> great, <laughs> great read. Um, I, I want to, uh, uh, before we wind up, I want to uh, deal with two other things. What led you, um, we've talked a lot about Little Ballers without really getting into what it was and the motivation, and I want to mention that because you've got a sequel to Little Ballers uh, that I want you to, to talk about. It's a project you're working with with um, uh, uh, Skylar Diggins, but Take us through. I mean, just just the snapshot for people who really need to see little balls. What tell us what what it, what it was and kind of why you did it and um, uh, yeah. So um, I did it for many reasons. Um, one, I loved the movie Hoop Dreams. Remember mm. Hoop Dreams? Yeah, of course. And Hoop Dreams followed the um, high school players of and their and their hoop dreams. And when my son, Cole, was playing AAU basketball, um, when he was around nine years old, that's when it started, you know, they started going to na the nationals at that point and it got a bit more competitive. And I thought about um, Cole and his teammates and the, and the hoop dreams that they have, but they have them from a different perspective than the young men did in the movie Hoop Dreams. Right. They're really at the last age of innocence. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, that 10, 11-year-old basketball-playing kid, they all, every last one of them still thinks that not just that they're playing varsity and starting in high school, or not that they're just playing in college. They, every last one of them thinks they're going to the NBA. And there's something, you know, endearing about that. And I was following my son around, I was, you know, like the team mom, you know, the team van, all that glamorous stuff that you do when your child plays sports. Right. I was following them around, and I was watching these relationships develop between my son and kids from, you know, these diverse backgrounds that, yes, they were deeply passionate about basketball, but there was something beyond them all saying we wanted to play in the NBA. There was something about basketball that I could see was offering each of them hope and their families hope. And that was the real story of Little Ballers, you know, for the young man, Judah, basketball mm. really was, in many respects, the American dream mm. for his father, who was a Jamaican immigrant, mm. and it represented that. Or the young man, Tyreek Chambers, was in the film Basketball for him, and his mother was really about keeping him off of the gang-infested streets of Brownsville, Brooklyn. For the kid, mm. Kevin, it was about getting an education. And for the case, in the case of Cole, my son, it was it really was a bond between he and his father, and it was also something that was helping him control his emotions. Mm. Mm. And that was the story that uh, emerged when I started filming uh, the boys. And then, of course, there's Coach Billy, oh, who's yeah. in the film, right. who each of these boys you could see in Coach Billy in, in, in some respects when he played basketball and realized in high school he wasn't good enough to make it to the next level, took a wrong path in life. And what he talks about in the film winds up getting shot six times. Yeah, wow. Lives to tell and makes a promise to himself and his family that if he survives, 
he's going to make sure that no kid goes down the path that he went down and instead uses basketball as a tool to get them out of their circumstances that are negative and put them into a positive place. Yeah, it, it was, it was uh, you mentioned Tyreek. Tyreek is sort of sadly, and I really do encourage everyone to look to, 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 to see this. Uh, but, you know, Tyreek has sort of, I mean, there's still chapters of his life to be written, but, but yeah, there's been some yeah. pretty tough chapters. Yes. Sadly, you know, um, Tyreek, who is like a you know second son to me, spent a lot of time with us, a brother to Cole, you know, growing up in Brownsville, which, you know, has problems with gangs and, and crime, and his mom's had some, some challenges. He, um, you know, made some, some tough decisions and, and, and found himself in some challenging situations, and unfortunately it, it was, was the victim of a uh, drive-by uh, shooting, very shot in the stomach. Thank God he survived. But, uh, you know, his, his basketball career is, is on hold. He was playing at Christ the King, having an excellent year, mm. and is not able to do that. I mean, you, you put it in perspective and you say, you know, thank goodness that uh, he's still alive. But, again, for Tyreek, basketball truly was this lifeline for him and his family. And so to think, what are they doing now? What is he going to do now when there was so much hope put in basketball? And that's mm. yet to be seen. Mm. And what's your... Where, where Where can we, you know, where would somebody go to see Little Ballers? Where can we pick it up? So, um, it, it, because it actually premiered, it was actually just last year, it was, uh, and it aired about ten times on Nickelodeon, in the okay. Nickelodeon family, Nickelodeon Sports. Right. Um, several different outlines of Nickelodeon and Viacom. Um, as Bill mentioned, I'm doing another little ballers on a girls team out of Indiana, um, a Skylar Diggins team who plays in the WNBA. Great Notre Dame basketball player, great WNBA player. Um, it's going to be little ballers. The first one's going to be re-released around the time that the next little ballers comes out. But it also, for those people who still have DVDs and Blu-rays, um, <laughs> <laughs> it is going to be coming out on um, uh, video, um, or not not video, but uh, DVD and Blu-ray uh, in this um, this upcoming April. What about cassette? And can I play it? Can I play it in my cassette? You know, you're gonna take me way back. Do you want me the VHS beta? And, oh, you kidding me? I've got a whole stack of beta backs. Get rid of them. No, are you kidding me? I got some. So, but people can see it. Um, I'm trying to be disciplined here, man. I'm like looking at the mountains and all that. Let me reel it back in. But people can look at it. Can they order it? And so, yeah, they're going to be able to. Little um, Littleballersfilms.com is going to be where they can order. They can order the film. And then also, um, it's going to be on um, SDS, Video On Demand. Okay. That'll be also be within the next um, six weeks. It'll be coming out yeah. on Video On Demand as well as... Um, like download to own, you know, iTunes. Mm. And, and, and when is when is your project, uh, your your new project, uh, going to uh, see the light of day? That'll be in um, September mm. with uh, Skylar Dickinson. It's an amazing group, amazing mm. group of uh, uh, basketball players that it happens to be a girls team. Mm. Last Days of Innocence as well. I still focused on the 11 and 12-year-olds. Um, age range, but for each of these girls as well, basketball offers hope in different ways. And we expand what we got into with the boys. We expand it 
with the girls, and we get into some other hot topics. Mm. And when you say Skylar Diggins' team, what, what role does she play? So Skylar Diggins um, has an AAU, has several AAU teams called the Sky Dig Ballers, Sky Dig Elite, um, and she sponsors them. She uh, um, sponsors uh, several teams out of South Bend, Indiana. Um, her father, uh, Mo Scott, who's in Little Ballers, the next Little Ballers, runs her AAU program. Okay. And they have um, teams from, like, fourth grade up through high school, boys and girls teams. So she's really very, very involved uh, there uh, still in South Bend. And they run out of, you know, it reminds me in some respects a little different, but, but your program, Bill, that you run, but uh, they're out of the, actually the Martin Luther King Center in South Bend, Indiana. Mm. And that is sort of the nucleus for grassroots basketball in South Bend, mm. Indiana. Did you see a difference? Um, again, I want to wrap up, but, you know, this is very fascinating. Did you see a difference? Uh, in, in the little ballers, the, the, the guys' little ballers and the young ladies' little ballers, this is just the mentality, the approach to the game, the aspirations. I am so glad you asked me that. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you're on Bill Roden on sports. So that's what I do. <laughs> and, yes, that, without me trying or without me leading the witness with um, the interview questions, mm-hmm. the theme has come up among these girls. Why is it that you have... So many people saying that men's basketball is better and played at a higher level and men or boys are better players than girls. And I'd like to say that I think the conclusion to this is um, based on several interviews that I've done in, in, in watching you know, WNBA games, NBA games, college games with women, college games, games with men, is that the women's game is actually fundamentally not just as good, but stronger when you get down to the basketball fundamentals and basics. Mm. And, yes, women are great athletes, but, yeah, let's be real. Men are typically, men professional athletes, yes, they can typically run faster, they can jump higher, they are are stronger, but it doesn't mean, you know, that a good pick isn't a good pick. That doesn't mean that X's and O's are not X's and O's. And you look at a championship game, you're not seeing so many high-flying dunks, which often distinguishes the men's game from the women's game, that the men play above the rim, and they do those exciting highlight reel plays. But that doesn't mean that they know the fundamentals of basketball better than women. But even with the WNBA, you are starting to have women players that are dunking to the extent that that contributes to the excitement of the game. But when you look at, I I don't know if you've been to any, I'm sure you have, <laughs> Jamal, will you just fill, fill her in? College games, they're playing at a high level. They're out there, you know, they're, 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 their shooting percentages are, are higher typically. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're making it, and it's great because in this film, um, two, they're, they're two of the girls who I profile in Little Ballers, Indiana, that are sisters that play on the same team but sometimes played against each other. But their, their mom and dad met playing college basketball, and the mm-hmm. father, is, and now he's like, yeah, I have to admit now my wife was a better shooter than me. Mm. My wife is a basketball star. Mm. Um, Pamela Pamela McGee, oh, yeah. um, whose son, yeah. she played in the WNBA. She's the first WNBA the player whose son plays in the NBA. JaVale McGee, he plays right. for Dallas now. Oh, wow. But okay. he talks about he grew, he grew up and, and, and his, his basketball heroes were uh, WNBA players, Cynthia, Cynthia Cooper. Mm. You know, I, we have Harvey Catchings and Tamika Catchings in the film. 
and mm. you know Harvey played in the, in the NBA, Mika plays in the in the WNBA. Um, so uh, a lot of you know girls 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 ball hard, just as hard as, as the boys hard. An athlete is an athlete. Right, and, and Bill and I are big time supporters of the WNBA. We've, we've been to games. We've had uh, plenty of WNBA players on the show. So we definitely agree. And it's interesting when you mention excitement, and I think that's the key. Um, you know, what makes something exciting? Is right. it the dunk or is it the competition? You know, is it a good, you know, how well a play is run? You know, that's, that's the key is the excitement. And you got to get, for guys, as fans, you got to just bring them into the arena and make them watch it. Right. Because once you, you once you get involved, it is exciting, and it's, it's a, just a different game. You got to look at it like that. Just like college basketball is different from from the NBA, but college basketball still has a large mm-hmm. following. Right. Yeah, and it's great that you're doing this, Crystal, because I, I was telling um, you know we've had uh, Candace Wiggins was on our show. Um, um, uh, who um, Jamal? Um, you know the great player. Swing Cash. Swing Cash was on the yeah. show. Actually, Laura Ritchie was on the show. Yeah, Laurel, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's she... funny you said Laurel. Laurel was the one who said to me, I wanted to do it, but after she saw Little Ballers, Laurel said, you know, Crystal, you've got to do this for the women's game. Yeah. I said, absolutely. Yeah, and I think the absolutely. more you do this stuff, it's almost a, um, you know, I was telling women that you got to go to the game, even if it's a, it's a political decision. You know, you must support the industry. If you're a guy and you've got a daughter, you got you just have to, you have to go. You cannot not go, just like we in the media. I mean, I almost, after the uh, Women's World Cup, I, I had a conversation with a sports editor. I said, listen, man, you know, everybody covers Women's World Cup. That's easy. But you've got a professional women's team right down the road. You know, we invent reality. You know, when, if we decide to cover it, then people take the cue from that, that, oh, this must be important. You know, right. and so I think that, you know, the things, Crystal, where, where uh, and we've been through that, whether it's, civil rights, whatever, certain things are just a mission. I mean, it's, yes. it's a mission, you know. And, um, Absolutely. You know, so. like women's tennis doesn't have the same issue as women's basketball in right. terms of following. Right. right. Oh, no, absolutely. No. Right. Why do you think that is? It, that, that's a good question. I mean, I've had these discussions. What can women's basketball do on the professional level to be as much of a draw as men's basketball? Now, granted, the WNBA is still relatively new. I mean, right. it's less than 20 years old. Right, right, exactly. That's so important. part of it is time. Yeah, if you look at the men, if you look at the, the NBA in 20 years after, it, in 1960, let's say, in 1966, 67, the NBA championships weren't tape delay. Right. I mean, right. seriously, it wasn't like, you know, you could just turn. No, it was, it was sort of, mar- it was somewhat marginalized. And, right. and, and people don't realize that. So I think that what you're doing is very, very valuable. It's really part of a continuum where you, what you're doing, you're putting a value and an importance on this. You know, so this I is... To, I have a daughter. I mean, I feel so bad. I've talked so much about my son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I also have a daughter who's 13 years old who plays basketball for mm-hmm. a great AAU organization, actually one of, one of the great or AAU organizations in the country in New York. She plays for New Heights, okay. which right. truly does care right. about the kids and what happens to them off the court. And um, she is deeply competitive mm. with, with basketball and, you know, and as a scholar. Mm. And, you know, sometimes, you know, Cole will overshadow her with what he's doing. One, he's a little bit older, that happens, you know, you know with the firstborn. 
Um, but my daughter, I mean, I, you know, for what I'm doing, it, it's important to me to show her the role models that are out there of women athletes who are playing the sport um, at a professional level, and you see that as a, as an option out there as a as a career. And if she doesn't make it to the WNBA, I mean, she could own a team. She could be a general manager of a team. She could be an orthopedic surgeon, sports orthopedic surgeon. I mean, there's so many other careers surrounding the sport that that that, that these kids love. I try to also um, show that to her. You know, I want to go back for one second. One of the girls in Little Ballers, um, Indiana. So funny. I was like, so who are your favorite NBA players? And she said, oh, I don't watch the NBA. <laughs> she, said, I, she said, I only watch the WNBA. That's great. That's great. <laughs> hey, my, uh, my guest, our guest has been the wonderful uh, Crystal McCrary, um, author, documentarian, uh, wife, mother, scholar, you know, Boy, on and on. And I'm, 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 I'm a huge fan, always have been, and uh, really, really, really appreciate you uh, coming in the studio, being on the show. It's really, this has just been such a fascinating conversation. We could spend another hour uh, just on, on your life and, and, and things. But we'll take an hour. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but Kristen, th- thank you so, so, so very much. This has really been fascinating and uh, just confirmed uh, why I'm one of your biggest fans. So thank you, thank you very much. Well, right back at you, Bill. Thank you. Right, you're welcome. Jamal, hold the fort there in a... Uh, uh, in rainy New York, man, I keep looking at these snow-capped mountains. We may have to do more of these remotes, my brother. I don't know, man. You got to get back here. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, hey, listen. Thank you guys very much, and uh, uh, Pat in the back. Thank you very much for making it all happen. And uh, thank you. Yes, and uh, we'll see you. Next. Actually, I think we're going to be doing some Super Bowl stuff. Who's well? This may be later, Crystal. Uh, who do you like in the Super Bowl now? Granted, uh, this may run next week, so you're gonna you may risk being wrong, but you you got your bold. Who do you like? I'm gonna embarrass myself talking about football. So, <laughs> well, you, you, you interviewed me before about football I did? for one of your articles. Oh, yes. about oh, why, oh, why yeah. Cole's not playing? Football. Yeah, yeah. Why I asked you? We just keep going on. But, you would not let him play, right? Hey, that the, you would let you would let him play. No, but I, I'm going to say whatever team Cam Newton's on. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a popular uh, sentiment. Yeah, well, we, we'll want, we want Cam. I don't like the people who are coming trying to take him out. Yeah. I don't like that. Cam's a big boy. That does, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. He is. But you know what? Just because you're, you're talented and you can take it doesn't mean that people have to take shots at you. That's right. But, you know, as you, as you know, and this is another part of the show, as, as one of the things I, I shot you when you shot me the uh, – the uh, post article was, you know, you know the deal. <laughs> you That's know. true. And it, hey, listen, I, Cole had his first, I got my first taste of real high school ball. And Cole had a game. I won't name the school because I'd never experienced something like this before. But every time Cole touched the ball during this particular high school game, every time he touched it, the entire arena of over, you know, for a high school game, over like a thousand people, uh, overrated. Oh, no. <laughs> overrated. Every time. This is, you know. Oh, no. Hit. Every time he touched the ball, 
and all the other things thrown out there at them. They're like, you're not really a not, you're not really 15. Oh, yeah, I'd no. be good if I was 18. Oh, and no. <laughs> but can you read? <laughs> and I'm sitting there listening to all these people saying it, and I just have, I was so proud that Cole just used it to fuel him mm. and, and played even harder. So, mm. so yeah. That's great. But so as a mother, I'm guess I'm from the mother, the mother of an athlete. You know, I'm sure Cam Newton's family doesn't like it to people to say that. Jamal just talked to his dad, right? <laughs> Jamal yeah, yeah, talked spoke, to his dad. Talked to Cam Senior. Yeah, yeah I, spoke, I spoke to his father. And uh, what did his father say? No, his father. He just wants his son to be tough and get better. And, yeah. You know, you know, block this stuff out. He knows. You know, they've they've discussed it. As I'm sure you have throughout, yeah. throughout his childhood. Yeah. That it's not wasn't going to be easy. You're going to have people right. coming for you. This right. is part of the game if you're right. when you're at the highest level. As somebody told me, as a mentor, I told me after he read the manuscript of Forty Million Dollar Slaves, he said, "Yeah, uh, Mr. Roden, this is a great book, but don't expect him to throw you parades." <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's what you have to deal with as you deal with these things, and whether it's becoming a uh, a star player, but you stick to your truth, or a lawyer, or, or anybody, uh, people will respect you, but they may not throw you parades. So, That's you know. Well, listen, as Skylar Diggins said, she said, love me or hate me, either way it's an obsession. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. That's great. Got to get on the show. Hey, well, listen, uh, Crystal, well, thank you again so much, and we will see everybody uh, next week on yet another edition Bill Roden on sports. So thanks, everybody. God bless. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.